0: Photo Shelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a responsive, mobile-friendly website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com. Then download our free educational guides at photoshelter.com/slash resources. Testing one, two, three. It's Alan Murbayashi from Photo Shelter. Today we're hanging out with the geeks.
1: Okay. Hi, my name is Melissa Little. I'm an independent visual journalist based in Los Angeles.
0: Not only is Melissa Little a great photographer, she's also the founder of A Photo A Day, APAD as it's known in the industry. And after having served on the board of the National Press Photographers Association for a couple of years, she is now the president and kicking some serious butt. We join her the day after her annual Geek Fest Festival this time in Los Angeles, California. It's been how long since you moved from Florida? 14 months okay. since
1: I moved from St. Pete to L.A.
0: What's been the most surprising thing for you about uh, turning freelance?
1: Man, start with a hard one, huh? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, did I actually like it more than I thought I would? You know, I was really angry, frustrated with the way things went down at the newspaper when I got let go and and sort of forced into a buyout. And I've been pretty open about that whole situation, but it's, I was one of those people that when I graduated college, I saw myself as a career newspaper photographer, you know, and change is really tough for a lot of us. You think you're going down one path and all of a sudden there's, you know, strip of nails thrown in the way and (laughs) you come screeching to a halt and you've got to kind of figure out a new path and a new way around things. And, you know, what I knew is I loved photography. I love journalism. I didn't want to not do that. And it was just finding a way to make it work. You know, I love the stability of of a job. I've always been one who's a nester. I like, you know, the 401k and I like a paycheck every Friday hitting my account And that was scary, really, really scary not having that stability for a few months and trying to figure out what this new reality looked like. But I think what it did that surprised me most was um, it was a really good reminder of what I'm about as a photographer and what I love as a photographer. But it was also sort of a refreshing kick in the pants as to I'd gotten really complacent. A newspaper. I knew where the bar was. I knew what was good enough. I knew what would make my editors happy. And a lot of times that was, I, I was still delivering more than what they wanted. And being freelance made me scared again. And it made me hungry again. And it made me just really challenge myself to start kicking ass again on a daily basis because every assignment leads to the next one, ideally. And, and that fear, I think, shook some dust off of my brain and some complacency out of me, and, um, and, and it made me really hungry again.
0: The, the standard advice for staffers that maybe see the writing on the wall and are considering going freelance is to, over time, build up a clientele such that when you do make the switch, you're not starting at ground zero. Well, had had going freelance been on your agenda at all? Never. So this going is...
1: freelance was never something that had crossed my mind before. I freelanced on the side of my staff job. It funded trips. It was a little extra play money. It was fun. It was getting to to work with different clients. Um, it was not a viable option for me as a career path. I really I saw myself as a staffer.
0: So so they buy. Buy out your contract, you get a little money in the bank, but then on day one, are you sending emails to every editor you've known in your life and said, hey, I'm available now? What What's sort of the game plan when something like this hits you?
1: The timing was actually pretty wonderful in retrospect. My last day as a staff photographer was the first day of the Eddie Adams workshop in 2014. And, um, You know, I put the news out on social media. I went there because I've gone for a decade and I went to clear my head and see old friends and be around that community. And the outpouring of support was incredible. And it was a lot of editors coming up to me saying, oh, good, I didn't know you could freelance. You know, and I think a lot of editors have that misconception about staff photographers that they're unavailable. But now it was like, oh, it's so good to know you're in Florida and you're freelancing. And work came. You know, I I figured it out as far as putting out a MailChimp newsletter and trying to attract new clients, new editors. But, you know, the New York Times started calling, the Wall Street Journal started calling, the Washington Post started calling, and then that led to other things.
0: And did the the business aspect of being a freelancer feel overwhelming or did you have kind of a clue of how you should be invoicing and managing a budget and expenses
1: it was a lot of learning on the fly um, there's a lot of talking to people that have been doing it for a while and just saying hey what program do you use what app should i be getting to send invoices how are the kids doing it these days you know i definitely came up with a system for myself that works a little better um I was doing it all sort of manually beforehand and that's not the best way to run a business, <laughs> but, um, you know, just kind of automated things with, you know, like wave apps for invoicing and, um, just file naming things, you know, that people told me <laughs> to, to start using, <laughs> they were going to come in really handy to find photos in the future and to be able to archive things and to know when they were shot. Cause you know, my naming system, was atrocious beforehand. Yeah, you know, I've got folders on my desktop labeled like crap, crap one, crap two, <laughs> <laughs> crap 2017, if I'm lucky, you know? And so it was just little things, just as far as like the, the money aspect goes, I feel like I've always had a pretty good head on my shoulders as far as just saving and balancing a budget and not being in debt over my head. And so that was a much more comfortable Thing to, to handle. You know, I had this sort of Suze Orman recommended eight month, you know, emergency plan. Cause that's who I am. Um, so I wasn't as scared there. I knew I could pay my rent for the next year or so if I needed to. Um, I knew things would be taken care of financially, but it was just, just picking the brains of people that have done it beforehand and just saying, how, how do I do this? Educate me. Let me buy you a beer. What?
0: <laughs> so, you know, one of the things we hear a lot when we talk to people that are teaching uh, at the university level, um, you figured it out, figured it out on your own pretty quickly because you had to. And some some people would argue, well, photo schools should be in the business of teaching business, and other people say that's not really the function of higher education. It's not meant to be a practical school. What's what's kind of the The 2017 Melissa Little take on what schools should be doing for, for photographers at this point.
1: I absolutely think it's a university's goal to make their outgoing students as responsible in their field choice as possible. If not, I think it reflects poorly on the university that their students aren't making it, that there aren't professionals coming out. And it happened in my day and age. I mean, there's three-quarters of my graduating class from the University of Florida J School are not working in journalism anymore. You know, there's always sort of that attrition, but I think schools need to really step up and say, the market is changing, the industry is going this way, and to give our students the best leg up to be producers of content in the future, they also need to be small business owners. They need to no X, Y, and Z that's only going to help them. I mean, schools are in the business of educating, and I don't understand why sort of that financial independence isn't part of that process now.
0: Um, we are a day after Geek Fest LA. Congratulations on another hey, great.
1: <laughs> what do
0: we, do we call them seminars? We just call them fests?
1: Yeah, we'll just call it a fest. Fest.
0: Um, I Photo was surprised. Love fest. I love fest. <laughs> I was surprised at how many young people were there. It seemed like the number of people under thirty might have been the majority, easily the majority uh, there. And then, and, and you mentioned when when we were at dinner that there were actually a you know thirty five percent were current students. Were you sort of surprised by that dynamic?
1: I'm not. Um, I think that's always kind of been our demographic. You know, we try to cater to that as far as speakers go, and as far as just the the vibe of the weekend and creating this community and for us, you know, it's, it's a matter of looking at who comes and giving them what they need and a lot of that that we've learned over the years is it's people right on that cusp of either I'm graduating soon or I just graduated and now what, you know, I need inspiration, I need that community again that I had when I was at the university. And so, yeah, it's a large chunk of our members are you know are people that attendees this weekend are twenty to twenty five if I had to guess, and you know we we try to we try to foster that. I mean, I learned a lot from from them as well, and you know I'm definitely one of the old timers now, you know, sort of rocking the uh, you know the old lady demographic who's like, no, you kids go out to the bar tonight, it's fine. I'm gonna go home at ten and go to bed, but. You know um, otherwise it's it's always it's always just sort of trended young, which is is fun.
0: you've You've spent a good chunk of your career helping to build and maintain a community, both online as well as offline. Uh, a photo a day being a part of that, but also your involvement with NPPA and different women's groups, uh, etc. Where does that come from and, and why do you think that that's worth spending your time on?
1: I'm not 100% sure where it comes from. I feel like I had a really good group of people around me when I was a college student and I went to the University of Florida. It's an incredible journalism school. As far as the photo concentration goes, there were three classes and we just kind of figured it out. And so I feel like the students there really bonded together, like Bob Croslin, who's still one of my good friends and was just here for GeekFest this weekend, was a student who was about two years ahead of me at UF. I bought my first real camera from him. I went to the Flint Journal because Bob Croslin had gone to the Flint Journal to intern. You know, I kind of looked at the people like Bob and Stephanie Sinclair and Robert Broman and people that set this path ahead of us. And I think we're all still really close because we had to rely on each other then to get stuff done. We weren't getting that level of photo education at the university level. So we were just this tight-knit group who kind of taught ourselves as we went. And the second I graduated I went off and did another internship and then another one after that and then went and traveled for a little bit and came back to a another internship and I think I was on my fourth and on my way to my fifth when I got my first job offer. A good friend that went through the program with me, completely different trajectory, where she went and interned at a little small paper 30 minutes down the road from the college. They hired her on immediately after the internship. It was a two-person photo staff. The other photographer was 30 years her senior. There wasn't a bookstore in the town wasn't a Barnes and Noble where she could go look at Life Magazine or National Geographic or get any sort of inspiration. And, you know, I kind of credit her with this. Like she sent me an email a couple months after she started her job and just said, hey, can you start sending me, you know, a picture? Just send me a photo a day just to keep me inspired. And like, I just want to have that conversation and that, you know, that dialogue that we had when we were in college, when we were hungry and we were looking at work all the time. And I miss that. And by week's end, I'd said, well, let me reach out to this person and this person and, you know, all these people that we graduated with that we were this really tight circle, but we were now spread out, you know, spread out around the country at different jobs and internships. So it went from the two of us to 10 of us to people in that group saying, hey, I've got a friend at the University of Missouri who would love to be on this. And can I invite this person? And, you know, by the end of the first month, we... Maybe had fifty people, and it just kind of grew from there. And I don't know. I mean, the more I've done this, the more I realize like what we do professionally is is such a solitary act. When you're there and you're in the moment, you know, photography really is this sort of solitary pleasure. And I don't know many people that can really exist like that in their own bubble without feedback and without support. And I guess I was just lucky that I found it early on and I had a really good group of people around me to kind of say like, no, that is a, a good picture. Sorry your editors don't see that. Like keep doing what you're doing. And the more you, you kind of create community, the more you need it. You know, like I don't know where I would be if I didn't have those people around me today. I mean, there's still some of my best friends.
0: What, what is the, the role of in-person events and in person community versus the convenience factor of Instagram and Facebook and, and, and clearly those have been very, very instrumental in spreading the popularity of photography in the past at least five years, right? If not ten, but those tools didn't exist fifteen years ago when APAD came into existence. So so why do we still need a geek fest in person because it's an expensive labor intensive thing that consumes a ton of your brain power.
1: I think that being around like-minded people and being able to have those conversations and foster those relationships in real life just incredibly vital. I mean, like a a thumbs up or a like or a heart, you know, or some smiley face emoji is not going to help you get to the level that you want to get to. It's the people that you surround yourself that, you know, are those connectors and those connections that sort of help you reach the next level. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's the occasional Instagram star, but... (laughs) You know, uh, I I think the reality for most of us is that it's such a nice departure to step away from a screen and just have that face time with people that go on to do good things and push you and bring you along with them. You know, it's just relationship building and and you don't get that as much online. You know, it's not as, as tangential and it's not as real. You know, the, the dopamine effect may be very similar, but, you know, for me anyway, I know, I know what I need and I, you know, I, I just tried to create it and people have responded to it and, you know, keep coming back year after year.
0: Um, so, switching gears to your other job as the president of the National Press Photographers Association, <laughs> my first question is why the hell did you take the job?
1: Guilt, Um, You know, I joined the board, I think in 2009, then President Sean Elliott called and asked if I wanted to be a board appointee under his um, sort of presidential powers to appoint there. And I laughed. I laughed hysterically. And I just remember telling him on the phone, like, the MPPA doesn't have anything for me. And he said, Well what do you mean by that? I said, Well, you know, I go to I go to these conferences that you guys host and it's it's all a bunch of fifty and sixty year old white guys who have been doing this for thirty plus years at the same place and you know, we don't see the world the same and we don't want the same things and we don't, you know, see stories and an arc and a narrative in a way to, to approach a subject the same and um, and I got really turned off to the industry for a little while because of that, because I wasn't seeing myself reflected in these panels and in these speakers at conferences. And Sean just kind of laughed and he said, well, that's why we need someone like you. Like, we can't make a change unless we have agents of change in place. And I'm a 50-year-old white guy. I can't do this on my own. Like Come light a fire under some people. And it was, you know, it was a little bit of a guilt trip, and it was probably the right move on his part because I've always been one that's told people not to complain unless they're going to do something about it. And I felt like without being explicit about it, he was kind of throwing that back and, and challenging me. And I said, all right, I'll give it a year. And I was on the board. I tried to get some things done that year. I started to learn about what the bureaucracy of a large board looks like. And um, to me, it just looked like they needed more people like me on there. And it made me want to try to work at it and just bring in more like-minded people and, and watch that demographic change and shift a little bit, which it has. I mean, we've got, 50 percent of our board members are female right now. We've got the first black female executive director in the NPPA's 71-year history. We've got a student rep from Howard University who's incredibly involved in creating community and trying to do some good change for our student members. And it's just, they needed someone in there who was an idea person and who was a connector. And I feel like those are two of my strengths. So I've stuck around. <laughs> and I've yeah, sort of risen through the board ranks and was vice president for a year and, and two years ago was appointed president. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty proud of what it is we've been able to accomplish. But it is a full-time job. Um, <laughs> which, yeah. Do you
0: think... I don't know a ton of, of, about the internals of NPPA, but i obviously talked to mutual friends of ours who have served in different capacities. And I just wonder whether some of the, the operating bylaws and whatnot that were created 20, 30, 40, 50, 71 years ago, are, are those sort of a real impediment for the rate at which the world is changing today and, and the rate at which NPPA needs to change to survive? Or can you work within that framework?
1: I think it's recognizing and realizing what that framework is and where we want to go as an organization and sort of what we see, you know, our vital role being. I mean, we can't be all things to all people. You know, there are incredible organizations that are kind of our our sister organizations like ASMP and APA that, that tackle different issues. We don't want to duplicate because I do think that there's strength in numbers and there's a place for everyone. But... We have. I mean, in the last three years, we've really reexamined kind of what our bylaws say, how we need to respond to things, what, what needs to change. And, you know, we've had probably more board resolutions in the last two years than we have since I've been involved in the last seven. So, um, you know, it's just a matter of, of people recognizing and realizing what it is we want to say as an organization and how to best say that. You know and the good thing is everybody's really agreeable to that i mean we do want to be the voice for visual journalists that is one of our greatest assets is is sort of being an advocate you know whether it be through the literal like legal advocacy that people like mickey and alicia are doing or you know or being an advocate in other ways by you know sort of putting out the news of the industry and staying plugged in that way um but we're, we're trying our best to respond. It's definitely a slow process sometimes. And, you know, I understand why some of the bylaws were there and how they got in place and structure is definitely needed in a large organization. But, you know, we've been changing and I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of that.
0: How, what, what, what does NPPA look like seven to 10 years from now that makes it still a viable organization? What, what, what does it need to change, and what benefits does membership confer?
1: I think what it needs to change is responding to how the industry as a whole is changing. And by that, I mean five years ago, there were at least twice as many staff photographers as there are today. It's understanding what's happening in the newspaper industry, where those people are going and how to best inform them in the future, because they're going to need that knowledge and that education to come from somewhere. Um, I really see us stepping up, you know, sort of that educational aspect, whether it be through, um, you know, online learning or more in-person workshops and conferences, um, like advanced storytelling or the multimedia immersion, and really stepping up to freelancers needs I mean I'm the first freelancer that's been the president of the organization so bringing issues to light as to what I need um, you know as I think educated some of my colleagues who are who are still in academia who are who are still staff photographers um, you know and I, I think we just have to change with the industry as far as what membership confers um, you know I think the Number one thing right now that I tell people is kind of my elevator pitch is that membership pays for you to continue to do your job in the best way possible. And by that, I mean, we fund two of the hardest working attorneys out there right now that are fighting for things like copyright, that are working with the FAA to fix drone legislation to allow news organizations to continue to fly in certain spaces um, that are you know going in before things like the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention and having a sit down with the police forces in those towns to educate them on what the right of the media is and you know, Mickey did that this past year you know the past convention and it was absolutely incredible he went to both cities before the conventions and had a sit down with local media and with local law enforcement to figure out where that common ground was. Because ultimately, you know, we we all want to do our jobs to the best of our ability. And sometimes it's just a matter of educating people on the other side as to what our rights actually are. Um, You know, so that $110 gets you a lot when you think about it, because it allows you to still continue to work and it allows you to still continue to own your work ideally, and it allows you to still continue to, to have some freedoms as as a member of the press.
0: Do you think that's the most underappreciated aspect of membership that yeah. people are sort of unaware
1: of? Oh, absolutely. Because it's, I've actually had people tell me like, oh, well, he's doing it anyway, so I don't need to be a member because it affects us all. It's like, well, we can't continue to fund that, like <laughs> sending him to talk before Congress you know, on certain issues does take some some revenue um the good thing is that corporations have seen that we've had um you a know, certain tv conglomerates step up and donate grant money to the organization uh to help fund that because we are fighting the good fight you know even if you don't feel it directly you know in your paycheck or you know uh in your day-to-day life um you know what what mickey's doing does make a difference for all of us
0: final topic tough one it's in the news right now um women women in photography women in photojournalism um nppa under your leadership kind of took the brave step of posting about the bill frake situation with university of nebraska on the flip side it's not like the industry hasn't confronted sexual harassment in the past and thinking of of Ohio University and, um, you know, in, in early 2000s, um, what, what things have improved for women in the industry and where do we still need work?
1: We could be here all day. I know. know. (laughs) such a broad topic. (laughs) You know, I think that there's a lot more visibility now to the issues that women face, you know, um. Whether it's women photograph just flying the flag and saying, "Hey, we're here," and there's no excuse as to why you shouldn't be hiring women. Here's a database of 200 incredibly talented freelancers around the world, um, you know, or you know, having a forum like Riot Girls where you can actually just talk about these issues with people that have gone through similar things. I, I think there's a level of awareness now and there's a level of wanting and needing that because people have seen the discrepancies over the years, whether it be your physical paycheck, you know, <laughs> like can't tell you how many colleagues I've had over the years who have found out that male colleagues with lesser experience and maybe lesser talent or accolades, all these things that matter to the bosses are making more money. You know, and it's just a matter of of educating and sort of strength in numbers right now with women, um, which has been really nice. I mean, social media has been an incredible force for bringing those voices together. Um, We need a lot more of it, though. You know, I look around and I look at how many staff photographers at big papers are female, and I question sometimes the the stories that they're telling because of that. I mean, we all bring things because of who we are and what our backgrounds are and that sort of richness of the diversity of voices on staff. And it's, it's the same for photographers of color, you know, like that's the next issue that's being fought. Like women photograph just today in their newsletter announced a sort of a subhead (laughs) in in their directory and what they do. And it's women photographers of color, you know, and it's, Recognizing that there is a need for this sort of richness of voices, if we want to be complete storytellers and and tell a fuller picture.
0: I'm curious as to um, efforts to reduce harassment uh, has been incredibly important, and and that's something that I think that will be sort of a perpetual um, issue that will need to be addressed and worked on and identified early, et cetera, and educate people about but at the end of the day if women aren't being paid to take photographs and aren't being hired and i'm thinking of this new york times magazine cover about women and there was there's a little bit of hubbub around that decision and i read her justification for it and you know in some ways it makes sense you know you're going to hire the person who you know can get the job done because you have a deadline and you've got, you're spending a lot of money to do it. But if, if people in, with the pocketbooks to hire aren't willing to do it, then is there any point in addressing the, the sexual harassment side of the coin as well? Do we have to hit everything on every front simultaneously? And, sorry to, to go on here, but is, is it just gonna take another 10 years for the 30-somethings and the 40-somethings to be in the hiring positions as the 50-somethings and the 60-somethings to see the real shift occur? Are we just at the beginning of all of this?
1: And I wish I knew. I wish I knew what the future looked like. You know, I think it's I I don't think things like hiring women and the harassment that women deal with are mutually exclusive, you know, I think we need more advocates overall that understand women's issues. Um, They work hand in hand though. I mean, for someone in a position of power at one of the largest newspapers in the U S in the world to not have a roster of talented women that she can call on to shoot a big cover shoot is an issue, you know, and I don't, I don't want to slam anyone's decision and who they hired, but I think it's just having this awareness of what that message sends. Um, I think it turned a lot of women off from wanting to work for that publication, just from the conversations that I've had with friends. Uh, It does send a message. And I I think, yeah, this generation that's coming up is pretty impressive. You know, (laughs) like they're, they're kind of this force that, and I don't know where it, comes from necessarily. I know that the 20-somethings that are coming out of college right now are you know, just kind of wanting to be leaders in this industry because there are things in place right now to sort of amplify their voice. There are people out there that have kind of helped lay that groundwork, even if, say, my generation of now 40-somethings couldn't get it done there's a basic framework, you know, that, that these 20 somethings are coming up and saying, well, let me finish this, you know, and it's been building on, you know, the generation before, but man, I, the next 20 years of journalism is going to be fascinating when, you know, when these kids, (laughs) the, (laughs) the kids these days are in those positions of power.
0: So when someone says, why, why wasn't the list of women's photographers created 10 years ago? What's What's the, is there any valid retort to that other than, well, it happened.
1: Yeah. It happened now and we've got to sort of move forward with that. You know, Daniella was not there 10 years ago and in a position to do that, though I'm sure she was fighting that fight on her own and laying the groundwork for what's now become, you know, a bit of a force in, in the industry. Um you know, I guess we can't go back and question why something hasn't happened until now. We just have to say, thank fucking God it's happened. And let's continue to, to move forward there because it's incredible that it has taken this long. But it's there and now there's no excuse. So it's kind of like, what's the next thing we tackle? Now, how do we educate people that this exists? you know and and i think that's always the challenge with things like this is not to have it just be a vanity project and and have it it actually get some traction in the industry where editors are going to sources like this you know to say oh no there are incredible photographers of color there are incredible women photographers out there And I need to just expand my own repertoire and and reach out there and take a chance on on someone else and continue to build their own sources through some of the talent that's rising up right now in other ways.
0: Melissa Little, thank you for your time and everything you do for the industry. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Photoshelter.com. For more just like it, search for I Love Photography at iTunes or your favorite podcast provider.